Hillary, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm very excited to have you here. It's very nice to be asked to be here to be here to uh, talk to you about things. Great opportunity. Thank you. Well, maybe let's get started. Uh, just tell the listeners who you are and the kind of work that you're doing right now. I'm Hilary Sims. I'm based in Stourbridge, just outside Birmingham in the UK. And I support anybody from the age of 12 and upwards with their mental health. Um, and that can be anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, a real variety of things. I also support couples and families that are having issues as well. Um, and the vast majority of my clients are adults. I do get a lot of young people through the front door too. Okay. And what have you been noticing just in terms of mental health? I mean, there's been so many changes with COVID. I know in my own practice, anxiety has been, you know, 800 fold increase. It's, it's kind of taken up the whole focus of my practice. Uh, have you been noticing the same sort of thing in UK or? Uh, I don't notice the whole um, of my practice, but it certainly made a lot of changes. It's made a lot of difference to the way people view the world. There's a lot of people that are still worried about catching COVID and the impact of them catching COVID. So people are still being very wary. Uh, I have some clients that are still very wary of it, still wearing masks, still taking precautions and everything. Um, one of the big things that's really come out post-COVID, I found, is people meeting people, people being able to socialise with new people, because the things that were there pre-COVID are not necessarily there now. And it's, and it's not necessarily about people meeting people to be in a relationship with them, just people meeting friends and other people, or knowing where to find new people to make friends with and what things to go to to meet people. That's been huge. And I think that, I mean, there, social media, I think there's been a trend towards that anyway, especially with the younger population. I see a lot more, you know, online dating. I'm like, how did we meet people? I, I can't even fathom the online dating, but that's how, you know, I, I know that there's that trend towards that, but it's challenging then when you're trying to make new friendships. I have a lot of people who move, you know, they're new to the city and they're, they're you know, how, how do I meet people? And that isolation we know is far more dangerous to our health than smoking a pack of cigarettes every single day. You know, there's so much research around that isolation. It, well, we're not, as we really discovered during COVID, we're not designed to be individuals. We are designed to interact with other members of the community and friends and peers and everything. So I think COVID really made that isolation even worse. And Online dating is great, but I also have a lot of clients talk about that as well, because you're constantly on the phone looking at the reply to my message. Well, I know they've seen it, but they've not replied to it. So that comes with its own set of anxieties as well. And then try to relate online dating to how you would meet somebody just in a pub or something. It's just not possible. It's just not the same process because you've got contact and connection 24 hours a day. So it's for me, it's in it. And I think it's probably taken this time for this all to come forward that people are going, clubs and things aren't there anymore. Where do I meet people? How do I get out of this um, isolation state? Yeah, and I'm definitely noticing that with the teenagers and young adults that I work with. And I actually have a teenage daughter. She's just switched schools and she doesn't actually have any social media. So I say, well, how do they communicate? Well, they snap each other. I actually opened up. I've been very strict. I'm like, do you want a snap account? She's like, no, because all my friends are actually saying, I wish I 
didn't have it because I'm checking it all the time. It's using up so much of my life. I'm not doing anything. I'm always thinking about it. So I do see the benefit of not being on it, but, but yeah, we've, we've lost that. So, I mean, since we're talking about anxiety, um, what, what has sort of been the impact of this sort of increasing anxiety that's only gotten worse since COVID? Uh, people's self-esteem. What do people think about me? What are people thinking when I walk into a room? Are people are going to like me? Are people going to warm to me? Uh, really worried about walking into social situations and what, what are other people going to think? Well, how do we know what other people think? We don't. That's our own thoughts and feelings. They're the things we've got to deal with. But I think that's re really, really big. And that is across the board. That's not just young people. That's in adults as well. Yeah. And we know social anxiety is one of the number one anxieties that everybody faces. And from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. If you weren't part of a tribe, you would get eaten, right? And so yeah. we, we need to <laughs> have that sense of belonging and, and our people around us to be able to survive. So how would you address that? You know, if you're working someone, whether it's a young person or an adult coming in and they're experiencing some of this low self-esteem, social anxiety, what types of things do you try to recommend? Yes. CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. So we look at this because quite often it's their own thoughts that cause them disturbance. It isn't somebody else's thinking. So it's getting them to understand that actually these are my own thoughts. If these are my own thoughts, I can learn to manage them differently. And what? why do I need to walk into a room and everybody's going to like me? In life, that can't happen. It's not possible. I always think of a school teacher. A school teacher must see thousands of children over the time that they um, teach they can't like every pupil it's not possible you know you just have to work with them doesn't mean everybody's got to like me and it doesn't mean because some people don't like me that I'm not a good person it's just that we're different and we don't have a connection right yeah and the thing that I find with my younger you know tweens teens is a lot of other tweens and teens are jerks and so, you know, the, it's one thing to say it's just how we're thinking and how we're perceiving the situation. But a lot of times there are bullies or, you know, girls um, cutting each other down. And how do you manage those types of situations? That's, that's a really, really difficult one. And that's something that's been there for years, particularly with girls. And I'm a girl myself. And it, it, it's very difficult for a teenage for teenage girls. And social media, as you've alluded to before, makes it 10 times worse as well because they've got this many followers, they get this many likes. So it's about trying to break it down and getting the young person to realise we don't have to fit in. We don't have to be, if we want to be a, a round peg in a square hole, that's possible. We've just got to believe in our own self-belief and that we are a good person. And if we learn to love ourselves, it won't matter what anybody else thinks or anybody else says, because actually we'll realize we are OK. So how do you get there? I think it's, you know, it, it sounds all great and Pollyanna and it's so much easier to say than actually do and get them to shift. And this is an important time where they're trying to figure out their identity and who they are and how they fit in with the world. So so what are some of the things that you would do to get them to that place? Um, I would Start initially with looking at their vision of themselves, where it comes from, how they how they view themselves, and where they where's their evidence to support how they feel, 
and what they feel they look like or where they the evidence that says I should behave in this way or I should behave in that way and a lot of it comes from the media once again and to actually look at why do I feel I need to fit in in that way and the good thing is to get them to actually look at well what do I do in a day and what what have I done well today start to reflect back and focus on themselves because a lot of time we focus on the things that we haven't done rather than things we have done so we can actually learn to look at our day and go actually do you know what i did well i did that well today and give yourself the credit for what you have actually done rather than focusing on what you haven't done and that for me is a big shift with people yeah and and I, I often talk about these success loops or the, these negative loops that we get caught in. And our brain, we know, focuses on and remembers more easily the negative. We've got this negative bias happening in the brain where we're, we're going to hold on to those negative experiences because that's for survival. We need to hold on to those a little bit more so that we can do better next time. But consciously bringing up our success. I'm always talking about these memory bridges because our brain wants to forget when we were successful and when we did well. Um, and so being very intentional about that. Yeah, and we're not designed to be saying, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. And it's not about doing it in a um, showing off way or anything like that. It's in a self-gratitude way. It's about giving yourself for the gratitude for the things that you've actually done and believing in yourself. You know, it's not it's not that hand up at the back of the classroom. Oh, look at me, look at me, aren't I good, aren't I good? It's actually just appreciating the, the person you are and the things that you have achieved. Mm -hmm. Because we can't all be top of the class. It's not possible. The vast majority of us are Joe Average in the middle, and there's more of us in there than there is at the top of the class or the bottom. Um, you know, but we will all achieve differently, but it's actually looking and seeing that actually, do you know what, I've done well today and actually giving myself credit for the things that I've done well today. And I think that's an important distinction because I know when I work with my girls, especially my tween daughter, who's 11, she's like, mom, that's so, she doesn't say narcissistic, but or self-centered. She, she said self-centered. So self-centered. So I think that that's good that you've got that distinction, that it's not, oh, look at me, I'm the best. It's, it's self-care because yeah. I always say to people if you don't look after you who does and everybody will take from you if they can everybody will put you down if they can Where actually if you care for yourself you will you will everybody else's opinion or whatever won't impact on you because I know I'm an okay person and actually it's okay for me to give myself a pat on the back I don't need it's lovely to have compliments don't get me wrong we all love them but we don't necessarily need that compliment if we can get to the stage where we can actually appreciate the person that we actually are and that we do these things well ourselves. And how would you get a young person to, or, or adult, to be able to do that? Is it journaling every day? What kinds of activities would you have them do? Journaling definitely is something that I would definitely advocate, writing down things that we've done well today. Because we, we can always have a list of everything we've got to do. Everybody's got lists. I'm a list writer. I love lists. But what about listing the things that have gone well today? What have I enjoyed today? Because the, the, the to-do list is a bit on the negative side because that's still what's waiting to happen. But what about actually sitting down with a book and a pen and reflecting on what's gone well today? And actually setting yourself little goals. And the goals don't need to be, I, I work with short-term goals and long-term goals with people. And okay, we've got a long-term goal, but 
let's break it down into short-term goals in the interim and let's reward ourselves when we get to these goals. And actually, oh yeah, I did manage that. I did do that. For, for little children, the star chart is the best thing because it's great and it's simple and it's visual. But as we get to teenagers that don't really want a star chart, and we certainly don't want that as an adult, but it's about something visual that you can see that, yeah, I've done that. And that's my reward for doing that. I think actually as an adult, I did have, I can't remember, I think I was in my early 20s. I started a star chart for myself because I know I'm really bad for acknowledging my successes and minimizing them. And I think, you know, I was putting a chart for all those things. A star on my calendar for those types of things. I actually created a worksheet. I'll put it in the, the show notes. Um, doing this very thing. I love bookending my day. And it's something, it's a worksheet I created for adults, but can, you know, our, our teenagers can use as well. What are my three priorities for the day? So I'm breaking down those three steps. What did I yeah. do good today? And what's one thing I learned that I can do a little bit better tomorrow or that I can focus on tomorrow? Because sometimes I think we get caught up in that. I need to talk to more people and I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to eat better and I got to sleep better and I got to eat, you know, drink more water. And, and so we just become so overwhelmed. So if we just focus on one little thing that I can do a little bit better tomorrow that I can work on and then be successful and pat myself on the back for that tomorrow. I think you've just hit on something really, really important there the over overwhelming thing and we hear we get all these social media stories got to do this got to do that got to do the other and that's where we do become overwhelmed because actually we don't see that what we are doing is okay we think we've always and that is this is a statement i hear a lot in the counseling room i've got to be a better version of myself no what's wrong with the version you already are yes we can learn to do things differently but it doesn't mean the version that you are at the moment is wrong or bad or anything like that we can just learn to do things differently. Right. And acknowledging some of those things that we are doing good, because again, we, we oversee those. Actually, that's interesting. I just read an article recently um, and it was someone who was looking at time where people feel overwhelmed with the lack of time in their life. And they feel like they're just work, 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 work. And I definitely fall into that. But then acknowledging, you know, we don't want to have too much downtime because that actually contributes to poor mental health. So there's this sort of perfect window of how much downtime we should be having. And I think I have no downtime. But then when you start looking at what is included in that downtime, like I'm actually doing some of these things. And I think I actually fall within that perfect window of downtime. And so I think it's being able to stop and reflect and well, even when I talk about, you know, teachers who are frustrated with the kiddo in class because it's all over the place, you know, maybe hyperactive and talking, there's always something good that they're doing. Maybe they have their book out, they got their book, they put it on their desk. It's not open yet. They're not reading it, but they got their book out. And there's something there that we can say, hey, dude, thanks for getting your book. What's next? Yeah. And we need to do that ourselves as well. And it's about being intentional. Yeah, I know a lot of people say, like, I've set myself a goal, but I've not achieved it. Yeah, but what was your goal realistic? Did you set in the time scale that you gave yourself? Was that okay? But how many steps have you achieved towards that goal? It's always what I have done, not what I haven't done. But as you say, we're very look good at looking at what I haven't done. Right. And, and looking at the outcome, the, the final, you know, results where we forget about those baby steps towards yeah it. and also discounting um external factors 
other things that have resulted in me not being able to finish it for whatever reason, had a family emergency or extra homework or, or whatever reason it may be. And, and then they personalise the external things. Well, no, they're not your problem. They just happened at the side of you. Yes, they've impacted on you. But then you've got to acknowledge that they were there, that that stopped me achieving what I thought I was going to be able to achieve. But it doesn't mean it's negative. It doesn't mean it's wrong or I've done bad. Right. Is that something you would explore? I, I don't know, you know, in the therapy room, would you have some sort of activity or visual or discussion about looking at some of those external factors that are influencing? Yeah, definitely, because it comes up, it comes up a lot with people. Um, because when they go, well, I haven't done this because of this. I haven't done this because of that. Okay, let's put those down on a piece of paper. Let's have a look at those reasons why you say you haven't done it. And okay, are they things you can control? And when you actually see things written down, it's quite often, oh, no, they're not my things. I can't control that. That was out of my remit and everything. So, yeah, it, it is. Seeing things written down in the counselling room it is, is really, really powerful. And for people, because you actually go back and read it then. I thought that oh, okay yeah that's not my reason that's somebody something else that I impacted on me I'm always drawing and the control piece what's in my control what's out of my control those things that are out of my control is there anything any influence I can have or it's just about then we are working on acceptance you know learning to accept those things and focusing on what I can control so there's a lot of work to be done around that so that's great that because people are in it they naturally personalize it and make it about it's my fault this didn't happen it's my fault that didn't happen well no the six or eight external factors there that stopped it happening yeah exactly uh so i guess for I, I do have a lot of mental health professionals who listen to this podcast but i am getting more and more parents as well so for those parents whether they have a tween teen or younger child but even adults you know, an adult child, what are some things that maybe they could be doing as well just to help support their child's ability to manage anxiety, to manage that self-esteem piece, to, to manage everything that we've been talking about, you know, what's in my control, what's out of my control. Are there any things that you would recommend to parents? Sitting down with the journal with the child or with the young person, actually put it down visually, take the time and sit down and actually visualize it with the child the visual way is the best way for them to see it the, the problem I get with a lot of young people is I might in the counseling room say exactly the same thing as their parents have said but they see me as a professional my parents are going to say that because they're my parents well yeah but it's about that relationship with the child that's like let's actually try and break this down into um what we can manage what we can't manage and also from the parents perspective do it themselves as well if the child or the young person can see you doing it yourself they'll pick it up and they'll do the same as well yeah that's great just you know at dinner time having that conversation right what went well today what did you do well i i do even have what came up unexpectedly that was maybe a little worrisome, a little bit anxiety provoking. And how did you handle that? And so we all have struggles. And I think that kids sometimes don't see that. I remember my littlest one once asked me, mommy, are you scared of anything? Because you seem so brave all the time. 
And I'm like, I'm scared all the time, right? I'm scared all the time. And it was actually just after a presentation. She loves coming and watching me. And I, it was my first presentation right after COVID when we were able to meet in person at a huge gymnasium of people. And she's just like, you seem so cool and calm. I'm like, dude, you're going to see the minute I'm up there, my voice is going to shake. You're going to see that I'm a little bit nervous, but it, you know, I know that within five or 10 minutes, I'm going to ease into it, but we were able to talk about it, you know, afterwards, just about the, the types of things that I do to help manage. Cause yeah, you know, it's a problem when we always feel nervous, that's normal. It's what we do with that. Right. And, and when we start to avoid, that's where it becomes a problem. So being brave is being scared and doing it anyway. We have a lot of those discussions because I think she equates bravery to fearlessness. And that those are two very different things, right? That's not being brave if you're fearless. You're probably just stupid, if anything, <laughs> right? Like you're just not thinking about that. So, so being brave is being scared, but you, you pull those resources up and that strength to do whatever the challenge is that's in front of you. And it's also that, yes, I'm gonna, this is going to challenge me. And if I fail or something goes wrong, it's okay. I can manage it and I can cope with that failure. I think that's something we also need to teach young people. Failure is okay. We can deal with it. We can manage it. And like in this country, we've just had like the GCSEs and the A-level results out over the last two to three weeks. And people have been applying for universities and not everybody got their first choice university. Well, it's not a failure. You did your best when you did your exams on that day. You might, if you did the exams another day, you might have done differently, but on that day, and that's what we have to deal with. So it's about learning that it's okay to fail as well. And I think as parents, sometimes we need to share our own experiences of, like you say, when we've been scared, when we worry about things, because kids see us as, oh, they're coping and everything's okay. Therefore, it's not okay for me to say something. No, it is okay to say, hey, do you know what? I'm struggling at the moment. I need a little bit of support. Mm-hmm. but pair of that that sitting around the table as you say at tea time and let's share what's gone in in the day what you know has everything gone okay or has anything you know how's your day been and whatever it's just about that communication and if children feel that they can come and talk they will then start to open up about subjects that feel a little bit more difficult to talk about and something that I hear in the counseling room in adults is where um as a child, they came home with a B grade in some exam and the, their parents straight away, well, if you'd have revised more, you'd have got an A. No champion what they did get, not yeah. what they didn't get, because that has a massive impact on that child's self-esteem. And I, I work with a lot of adults where that's come out when they're probably in their 30s and 40s, but this dates back to when they were at school and college. And no, that's what they did. And as long as you did their best on that day, that's okay. Because I bet on the day those kids went to the exam, their parents said, do your best when they went out the door. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think there's a lot of those traps and I talk a lot about that, that that we fall into. And I think that there's a sort of shared delusion as a society and, you know, with grades, I have to get the top grades to get the top university, to get the top job. I'm talking about this all the time to have a happy life. And I think all parents are well-meaning, all teachers are well-meaning, but we do say things that are very influential on our kids, you know, and it's like, well, you had just done this. And we think that we're trying to motivate them and teach them a lesson, but we're not. 
And so that effective communication piece is so important. And especially when it comes to anxiety, it's still acknowledging their perspective. Oh man, that must be scary if there's a monster under your bed. I'd be scared too if I thought there was something that was gonna eat me. But we're really quick to say, no, 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 there's no monster, right? And, and or it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. You'll still be friends tomorrow or just do your best. You know, we, we say all of these things, but at the same time, we invalidate and minimize how kiddos are feeling. Um, and especially when it comes around anxiety I, or, or anything really that they're struggling with. And I think it just sort of builds and builds. So learning that effective communication, really, that's the number one thing. doesn't matter what issue people are coming with, even if it's my adults, it's I'm working on that effective communication because maybe they've got friendships or they're married or with their own children um, or parents with their kids. It's, it's learning to be able to communicate effectively. And it's really that validating, acknowledging their perspective, even if we think it's ridiculous or don't agree with it, but also the confidence. So what are you going to do? What did you learn from this experience? And, and if that person feels listened to, they'll come and tell you again. If they get dismissed, if it gets, as you say, oh, no, there's no monster under your bed. Yes, it's the right thing in one way to say, because that's what we want you to believe. But hey, let's go and have a look. Let's go and explore it together. Yes, because I'm listening to what you say. I'm taking what you're saying as important. I'm actually listening to and I'm seeing this from your perspective. I might totally disagree with you, but that doesn't matter. Yes, I'm actually seeing that this is a big thing for you. Absolutely, which is so important. And so that's usually yeah. the number one thing that I'm working with, with teachers, yeah. with with parents, with adults and in all of their relationships. So I, th I think it always comes back to that. How do we respond to whatever shows up, whether we're responding to anxiety or worries or stress or sadness? It's how do we respond effectively first? Uh, and I'm always talking about that connection kind of bringing this back full circle, that social isolation, sometimes kids even in their own home or, or adults in their own home are feeling isolated because nobody understands me. Nobody gets what I'm struggling with because they're hearing, oh, you're, you're, you're tough, you're resilient, you've got it, you know, and, and not really feeling heard. And I think that that's a huge piece, you know, and, and to feel like I belong and to feel like I'm loved, even no matter what's happening at school or at the workplace here at home, you know, that's a huge piece to be able to foster. Yeah. And the thing is with families now, kids take to their bedrooms because social media, they've got televisions in their bedroom and whatever. So they become isolated in that world. You know, so it is important that there is somebody there at home that they can actually come and talk to and feel that that person is listening to me. Mm -hmm. And having those moments. And so if you start with something like the successes, it could start out like that, your daily dinner, what are the yep. success, successes of the day? And we build that communication over time. They will come because the kids should be coming home and, and debriefing their day. Spouses should be coming home and debriefing their day with their family, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that that's, that's fantastic. A lot of Wonderful. people when you, sorry, a lot of people when you, you know, you, you walk, you open the door after you get home from work and your husband, your partner or whatever says, oh, how's your day been? Everybody just goes, okay. And then, okay, fantastic. And they just carry on. Is it really okay? You know, and I actually get people to actually, okay, when I go home and someone says, how, how's your day been? Actually tell somebody, I've done this or I've done that. Actually break it down to what you've actually done, not just, okay. You know, and if something's not gone right, let's go, well, hey, how could we do it differently if we were looking at that situation now? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that that's really important. And setting that expectation up. I know sometimes kids, but adults too, have trouble processing. Oh, nothing. You know, I remember once when my daughter was in grade eight, something traumatic had happened at school, but she never thought of it, right? I could tell that she was off. Are you okay, kid? Yeah, no, no, I'm fine. And it wasn't like a year later, something triggered her. And she's like, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you. And I had nightmares. I'm like, how did you forget to tell me? So I wonder if there's a way, like even a bingo card, you know, so maybe it's not about what was the one thing that you did successful today, but if we already know that that's the expectation, but maybe we've got a card of options of things that they can think about, you know, and giving them that time, just the expectation by the end of dinner, you're going to answer one of these things or, or something like that, just to give some options. Cause I know some parents are going to think, well, that's great, but you know, my kids are always going to say, oh, just fine. So, but I think starting question, what does fine mean? Give me an example of what you've actually done today. And I know kids go, oh, I've just been at school and everything. Yeah, okay. So what lessons have you had today? You know. I love scaling questions. My girl's like, oh, scaling questions. <laughs> they actually told me I would be a better parent if I asked less scaling questions. But it, but they really are helpful to get kids thinking. So on a scale of one yeah. to 10, where 10 was the best day in the universe, one is just, oh, you want to erase it from your memory completely. How was your day? You know, and so then it's not a fine, it's a number. Okay, it was a six. Okay, cool. What made it a six and not a one? What were the good parts of your day? So I find those kinds of questions are really helpful for them to start thinking about, right? Okay, so it's a six. They've already started thinking about their day. Um, And then you can start identifying, okay, what's one thing just to make this a 6.5 or a seven tomorrow? Oh, well, you know. It's like the magic question. If, if things were to change overnight, what would be different? And it's amazing what thoughts that processes with people. You know, okay, that's happened today, but if it was to be different tomorrow, what would have changed? Exactly. And so asking those open-ended sort of questions and different ways of thinking. So if parents are feeling stuck or even therapists are feeling stuck and kids are just fine, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the one short answer, it's, well, how looking at how we can ask things a little bit differently and make it more engaging too. Maybe we're not starting with what was your success of the day? Maybe we're asking if you could have any superpower, right? And just setting up the routine of we're going to have these conversations, but over time they do get more into personal, like what's going on. It's about feeling, you know, these questions are going to be asked and it is about being able to sit at the table and just say how I feel. That's great. But unless we learn how to do it, we're not going to manage it very well. Yeah. And around feelings too, another idea I usually have is having emotion cards or an emotion yeah. wheel that we can look at. And that, because sometimes just coming up with the, that vocabulary can be hard and we're building our emotional literacy. I'll throw those in the show notes too, but that's yeah. something that I often talk about. So when you go, how do you feel? How did I feel? Or how did you feel? Well, I don't know. Okay. Let's look at these faces. Did you have any of those faces or recognize any of these words? Because when it's actually happening at the moment, at that moment in time, sometimes you don't know how you feel. But I can remember the emotion, I can remember the feelings of my visual face on the inside. And that's true even for adults. We can usually come up with happy, mad, angry. You know, we can't think much beyond those basic emotions. So having those can be really helpful. Well, this has been wonderful. I I think that we kind of went in lots of different ways. There's lots. Was there anything left unsaid that you think is really important to mention before we close up today? Um, I don't think so. I, do, I just think it's okay to take care of yourself. 
it's okay to put yourself at the front of the queue. It's not in a selfish way, it's in a self-care way. Because if you look after yourself, you can support other people around you. That applies both to children and adults. But if you're in an okay place, you can support those around you better than if you're struggling with your own mental health too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hilary, thank you so much for joining me. It was wonderful chatting. Thank you very much for inviting me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.